Welcome to The 7 Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing, the Omobono podcast that preaches the tips and tricks of B2B marketing. In each episode, we sit down with B2B marketers and talk about what makes them proud, envious, and angry in the world of B2B. Their revelations will uncover new insights that'll set you on the path to better ways of working. Let us be your guide for the next 25 minutes to help your team avoid temptation and become unstoppable together. Hello and welcome to the seven deadly sins of B2B marketing. My name is Simon McAvoy. I'm the UK head of strategy at Omobono. And this episode, I am delighted to be joined by David Bernand, who is the senior director of EMEA Marketing for Box. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I think we've got a, an interesting uh, cut of the seven deadly sins for us in this episode. So we're going to tackle four of them. All will become clear as we move through. First of all, it'd be great if you could give us a little bit of background into your career and you know, how you ended up at Box, uh, what appealed uh, to you there. Yeah, sure. So um, my career is, well, it's nearly... 20 years of B2B now. Um, so I started at Siemens and did various different things in Siemens. Um, bit of uh, product marketing, uh, eventually ended up in sales back when Siemens uh, sold uh, telecoms networks. And uh, yes, eventually made my way back to the UK and joined uh, the uh, Caldwell Group. Uh, was there for about a year and a half, run the corporate marketing there. And uh, from there, did various other stints with Siemens. Uh, stint with their enterprise comms division, which is one of the uh, the kind of the longest stints of my career. Went from running the UK marketing programs there, and by the time I left, I was running the global corporate marketing um, for that group. Then, after a stint at a startup, uh, went back to help Siemens carve out their IT business. Uh, so, I did the marketing transformation there, which ended up as part of Atos. At Atos, I uh, did various different things in marketing ops, uh, and I also ran the marketing campaign for the London 2012 Olympics uh, program where Atos was the IT partner. From there, I did a stint uh, at uh, agency side, so I was at Stein for uh, about a year and a half. And then from Stein to Adobe, Adobe ran the, uh, the European uh, marketing campaigns uh, for enterprise for all three of their clouds. And uh, yeah, most recently at Box. So I joined Box around uh, three months ago, responsible again there for, uh, for European marketing uh, for, uh, for Box. What was it about Box that really uh, appealed to you? Box is a really interesting organisation because it's an organisation that's kind of gone through a few transitions. It's uh, an organisation that now is around $600 million uh, in terms of annual revenue. So not a small business, uh, but you know we're an organisation that is really... Uh, ingrained and embedded into a lot of different uh, companies and how they how they run their uh, their content management it's an area that's becoming increasingly strategic as you know everybody's shifting everything to the cloud and of course the problem with the cloud is that it means that everybody has storage everywhere which means that you don't always kind of leverage your data across all of the different applications that you have and uh, that's a problem that Box is kind of endeavouring to solve for a lot of companies now. Uh, so it was an interesting challenge, an interesting kind of moment in Box's growth curve, I think, 
uh, to join the organization, uh, working with a lot of fun and interesting uh, interesting brands. And it, it strikes me as a really interesting area to be uh, acting as a marketer in because, of course, I mean, I, I've been through the process of trying to decide which cloud storage service provider to use. And it's a bit of a minefield, really, trying to work out who does what and what the differences are. Like, how challenging do you find kind of really staking a claim and uh, creating a unique positioning for yourself? I think Box is interesting because it's... Um, it's probably the only provider, I would argue, in the market that has real genuine differentiation across the enterprise because of the depth of integration with everything from uh, the kind of the Google suite to Microsoft apps to Salesforce. Um, and then across to all of the kind of the niche SaaS apps as well. Unless you've got that real depth of integration, it just ends up being yet another silo. So that's that's one area. And then the other area is that where Box is kind of branching out now is really in helping organizations to really speed up simple business processes. So things that really don't need to be on heavy-duty systems that inc- involve a lot of customization. Well, look, let, let's jump in. Let's start with our first um, of, our, of our deadly sins. And uh, our first deadly sin is greed. Uh, and greed for us is all about this insatiable appetite for short-term results at the expense of long-term growth. Our deadly sin is thou shalt not indulge in short-term results at the expense of long-term growth. And, and I think this is a really pertinent point, actually, um, particularly just recently, um, uh, Lesbonet and Peter Field have launched their uh, piece of work along the shores of it, which looks at long term growth and short term yeah. activation and have cut that specifically for B2B. Yeah. And some of the results from that are fascinating because they show that actually for B2B brands, just like B2B, B2C brands, brand building is actually just as important. It's really, really important. So um, g- give us your take on this. What What are the challenges between of balancing these two intense pressures both to deliver those sales results in the short term and also brand building for the long term i think it's it's interesting actually that um a lot of um kind of executives don't really understand the importance of brand building um and particularly when you look at so look at all the big successful um B2B organizations in the world. And actually, if you look at organizations like IBM, if you look at organizations like Adobe, Mm -hmm. Microsoft, they all actually have very strong um, brand stories uh, and they invest a lot into brand building. So it's always fascinates me that other organizations that kind of aspire to be on that level don't understand that actually you have to do those that work and put in those hard yards to build your brand you know there isn't really a shortcut unless you've got a really genuinely disruptive product that kind of comes in and and stomps all over the competition because it is so genuinely different and really changes how organizations work uh, fundamentally um you have to invest the hard yards in brand building um but it definitely is a challenge to kind of position that within organizations. I think it's getting easier. Mm. And the reason why I think it's getting easier is because actually it's getting easier to measure the impact of marketing in B2B in ways that previously just really weren't possible. Now, the power that we see with with a lot of the um, kind of digital experience clouds including Adobe, but also others, um, Salesforce and so on and so forth. Um, They're really enabling us all to get a much better understanding of the impact of what we're doing. And I think as well, marketers are becoming better at articulating 
the value of what they do. So they're becoming better at measuring things like influence over the entire pipeline and over the entire sales cycle uh, in ways in which they previously didn't and couldn't. And I think the best marketers now are really learning how to articulate that that kind of broader value of marketing beyond the lead. So talk to me about how you're doing that then at Box, or even drawing from your experience of Adobe as well. Yeah. How, how do you make that case for long-term investment? A big part of it is really understanding what you're influencing so for us it involves looking at the entirety of the pipeline that we want to touch right across the sales cycle the second part of it to my mind is a fairly simple um, way of doing things which is you've got to make things tangible so one of the things that we do now at box is we're working on top deal programs so we're looking at what are our big deals coming up over the next two to three quarters and we're thinking about, okay, what are the marketing programs that align to these? A level of personalization, I suppose, at the account level. Um, but you try to make it tangible. So we actually turn around to sales now and go, okay, these are the top 50 deals as we currently see them. This is what you're telling us. These are the marketing programs we're driving alongside you in order to help you to convert. These are the messages you told us. These are the use cases. Therefore, these are the marketing programs that we're, that we're going to run. And on top of that, we're going to make sure that they come to this dinner, you know, all the kind of the tactical things on top of that. But if you can do a good job of articulating the full value of what you're delivering, then I think you kind of take the sting out of the short termism a little bit because it's, it's a bit more about, okay, well, marketing really are in the trenches with me. And then, you know, you kind of get to a position where, there's a bit more of an acceptance and a bit more of a willingness to listen to actually there are some longer term things that we have to do because fundamentally a lot of people you know a lot of sales leaders they can articulate where the problem is you know they'll come to you and go we have a brand issue in country x but actually making that leap then bridging it into well that means we have to invest in brand and not just in leads that's a tough thing to position, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting paradox because I've come across that quite a bit where you salespeople will often say things like, well, our biggest problem is no one's heard of us or not enough people have heard of us. We walk yeah. into the room, we have to sell cold. It's like, well, that's a brand issue. So they're articulating the problem. Yeah. But then, as you say, you've got to sort of say, and by the way, now this is what the solution looks yeah. like and it's probably not what you think. Yeah, it's almost, <laughs> unfortunately, there aren't real shortcuts to <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, there are, but there are things that we can do together. I think... The other thing about digital is, you know, if you look at um, how we do media now, you can actually cut your media spend and yet get a better return because you're targeting much more effectively. That's a difficult one as well because you're articulating to sales that actually we don't need awareness. Um, so actually we, we had a discussion uh, earlier this week with, uh, with our European team and we said it was kind of an interactive thing. Uh, so we had Slido up and people were making suggestions about things that they could do to help to promote our brand box. And one of them put up, put posters up and it, we should have, we should have display, you know, big posters across the underground. And, you know, it's one way of doing things, articulating to them, of course, that actually we don't need that broad awareness. I don't care that much, to be honest, if my mum has heard of box. <laughs> Not a big issue in my life. But what is important to me is that I have high levels of highly targeted awareness. Mm. It's a different story mm. now. 
Mm. So the brand building you do is different. But the difference now is that what we're trying to, you know, what we're able to do now with digital, thanks to, you know, platforms like LinkedIn, thanks to DMPs and so on and so forth, is we're able to build that kind of highly targeted awareness and measure it. And and so it's a different kind of brand building. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's a, it exposes something of attention here in that, you know, when we talk about kind of, I mean, actually, Bennett and Field talk about this in their report, which is that actually, you know, being known for what they call fame is a good strategy. Like yeah. it still does, it yeah, delivers really great results. But this, the, the, what are we talking about there? I think you need different things at different times in your evolution, right? So if you look at, I'll give you one example, Zoom. Zoom are actually um, kind of one of our partners, what we would class as kind of a best of breed provider in in SaaS at the moment. And they're, you know, heavily into their core market is video conferencing. They are currently all over the London underground. Why is that? It's because they need to build attention within organizations so people are pulling this through. Mm. People are using this on a personal level and yes. it pulls through into business. Yes. Um, and, you know, Box had the same strategy, you know, five, six years ago. But now, of course, we're in a slightly different position in that we want to move in much more into the enterprise IT world. And so actually now for us, that targeted awareness becomes hugely important, whereas the broader awareness maybe isn't quite as important as it used to be. It leads us nicely actually into our next sin. And our next sin is uh, all about envy. And what we see as envy is this thing that we see this over and over again when you ask B2B marketers what campaigns or brands they really admire or are envious of and they always say a lot of b2c ones yeah you know? and it, it happens over and over so we like our, our sin is thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's campaigns and then not try to do better right why should we not be emulating the level of creativity and innovation we see in the b2c world what do you think you know makes great creativity for b2b and what do you think are the, are the blockers there for doing great creative work a key issue that I see is actually B2B marketers can tend to lack bravery. But I think for a long time, there was kind of this lack of bravery within B2B marketers. They would tend to shy away from doing things that were kind of controversial. They would tend to shy away from doing things that were more creative, uh, just in case it was seen as frivolous or stupid or mm. it's not in line with, with our brand. I remember uh, at Siemens, we were basically breaking the enterprise comms business out of the main body of Siemens. And Siemens branding is pretty conservative as a whole. And we saw an opportunity basically to move away from the kind of the classic industrial imagery and pastel shades. But we had to do it within the Siemens framework. We were still a part of Siemens, but, you know, kind of we knew eventually we'd be moved into a joint venture or sold. So we looked at various organizations pitched to us. Uh, but then there was one one uh, company from Munich called Reinhardt's who did a, a really interesting pitch. And basically they took the Siemens corporate brand and flipped it on its head. So they used the, they used the Siemens classic kind of serif um, fonts, but they used it to speak to do a typography only campaign, huge big words. So they do things like ka-ching. So the headline will be ka-ching, which is so not Siemens. And then it would talk about return on investment from enterprise comms. Then I look back on that time and I was probably 28, 29. And 
we went and we developed this into a whole huge campaign, very bold colours, typography only, completely, the, it's almost like the anti-Siemens. But strictly speaking, within guidelines, because those colours were in the palette, that, that typography, <laughs> yeah. well, they, they were Siemens fonts. Uh, but, you know, we stretched it to the absolute limit. And then we went one step further because we then put massive posters of these ads down the uh, the Siemens Tower in Munich. How I didn't get fired for doing that to this day, I still don't quite know. I don't know if it was bravery or stupidity. But I think at that point it was like, well, we can die a slow death here or we can genuinely try and disrupt and do something interesting. Mm -hmm. But often it takes getting into quite a critical situation for marketers to be prepared to stand up and be brave. So you have to have that almost that right combination of circumstances and... Uh, the right individuals. I had a CMO back then who was amazing and he kind of backed me to the hilt and created this, the space for us to do this whole this whole campaign. Or you have to be in kind of a very special organization. Like I would say Adobe is a very special organization in B2B in that they kind of very much protect um, creativity because of their whole heritage around creative yeah. cloud. It's in their DNA. Creativity mm -hmm and creating beautiful campaigns is in the Adobe DNA. Uh, it was really interesting because obviously you're coming at this as well as someone who has an agency background yes. as well as client side. So what are the role of, what, what's the role of an agency in kind of inspiring and maybe even provoking marketers into being braver? Stein, I think, is an incredible agency. It's kind of creative heritage and the number of awards it's won for its creativity. But, you know, there are very few organizations that I would say are really, really at the top of their game agencies in terms of pushing clients on creativity, because mm. a lot of agencies will just try and second guess what a client wants mm. and they'll try and provide just that. So I think the first thing it needs is great creatives. But the second thing it needs is it does need strategic thinkers within agencies that can help to translate for clients mm -hmm. because oftentimes clients want to be brave but they need that encouragement to be brave so it needs good strategic thinkers who can kind of back up the rationale you know because the creatives rationale is quite often you know they will have there will be a kind of a a kind of a seed of, of the strategic in there of course uh, but there will also be I wanted to do it because I just thought it looked great. Creative will very often want the absolute essence, yeah. whereas a good strategic thinker within an agency, a good partner to a client, will yeah. will be able to rationalize it for them and help the client to translate it. Because ultimately, I always used to say to, to the creative team at Stein, it's hard to imagine when you're in an agency just how much work it takes as a client to get a really good campaign out to market or a really good program. So yeah. you, you've got to be so brave yeah. because you're asking the company to spend money. You've then got to position it. The, your, your message has to be right. All these things have to come together for the client. Good. Well, look, we could talk about the challenges of agencies all day long, but we won't, we won't do that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, well, let's move on. We, we've got a, another deadly sin here, which is pride. I think pride is, is a really about complacency here. So about doing things for the sake of doing them, uh, you know, not doing what you did last year just because that's what you've always done. So so how do you avoid that kind of pride? I think it is really tough. It's something where it's very easy to just repeat things. You know, it's kind of this rinse and repeat cycle as, as a marketer. It's like, well, mm. which program did we do last year in terms of events and campaigns? Let's do it again, just 10% better. You know, because it's quite, it's quite safe. But I think you have to really push yourself 
Um, we have a principle in the marketing team at Box in Europe, which is you know, we won't let uh, past programs define future strategy. We set that as part of our, you know, one of our ways of working because it was really important to me that we didn't just, you know, obviously you're coming into a role as a new leader as well and you have to kind of set your stall out to some degree but you also inherit a lot you know you've got to be realistic as well and you can't kind of say well let's just stop everything I'm going to do a complete reset here and then we'll come back in six months and tell you what the answer is doesn't work like that so you've kind of you're trying to change how you market you're trying to change your strategy you're trying to tighten your programs uh, at the same time as having to continue a lot of programs that you've inherited. So you're kind of uh, transitioning between the two. But it was really important to me that we did commit to transition between the two because mm. it's too easy to come in. And next thing, you're kind of, you get caught in a whirlwind as a marketing leader because uh, everybody's got an opinion on marketing and what you should or shouldn't be doing. And next thing you know, you're four, five, six months down the line and actually you have just repeated everything that your predecessor <laughs> did. Um, you know, you have to look at things objectively. And I think as well with the way that things are changing in terms of the technologies that are becoming available to us, the SaaS apps that we can use now as marketers, you've got to constantly challenge yourself to learn. We were looking this week at the use of AI technology uh, bots to handle leads. And absolutely fascinating uh, we already use it to some degree in the US uh, and we're currently thinking about what we could potentially do in EMEA uh, and it's just when you look at how far MarTech has come and how ingrained it's become in the overall customer experience it's absolutely fascinating mm. so you've got to constantly challenge yourselves challenge your team and also educate the broader um, stakeholder groups around this is how marketing is changing. These are the new capabilities we have that are, that are open to us. And therefore, we're not going to do just exactly what we did last year because some of these things, you know, we need to stop to make room for this new stuff. And actually, we think that this new stuff might be more effective. But actually, part of this is we're going to have to be brave and innovate a little mm -hmm. bit because if we don't, then ultimately what we'll see is we'll have diminishing returns and it'd be like, oh, well, you know, we did that event last year. We didn't get quite as many people there as the year before, uh, but let's run it again because we still got 80 people there. Oh, this year we got 40 people there, you know, but we spent the same on it. So keep the big picture, keep your eye on the overall strategy. Don't kind of just end up getting tossed around in the wind and the noise uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of the organization and the markets in which you're in. It can be really tough in some tech um markets because things move so quickly but at the same time within that strategic framework be prepared to have you know engage in a learning culture and can you distill this down to maybe three things when you get into an organization at the start you know obviously you want to come in and kind of sweep things afresh a little bit you know inject some fresh energy what are you looking for straight away as the things you're going to want to focus on first first thing is is listen try and understand what's gone on previously uh, and try and create a safe environment in, in which that can happen you have to take people with you. you have to you're inheriting a team and you have to build trust with that team and you know you need that team to 
to accept you as well and so understanding what happened and why but doing it in a way in which people can just be honest and say Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. certain things happened for very good logical reasons Mm -hmm. some things maybe didn't happen for good logical reasons Um, some things maybe happened because it was habitual or because people just didn't care anymore there can be all kinds of different factors behind uh, behind the, the kind of the reasons why things were as they were so the first thing yeah listen but create a safe zone in which to listen the second thing for me is um is really to kind of then set your stall out with two or three big things that you see yourself wanting to achieve try and give some lighthouse projects that you're going to align around think really hard with the team about actually what how do you make those things real because it's too too easy too often that those things kind of stay as big strategic things and Mm -hmm. then you come back to them six months later and think oh yeah we really should do those things you've got to make those programs tangible and you've got to be honest about how you're going to measure them as well but then the final aspect it then is really just commit to the process as a team so just work constantly learn constantly try and iterate constantly try and improve the things that you set out to do again the environment might might change and you have to be honest about that work together and uh and try and uh, try and kind of work these things through and uh, over time if you, i always think if you if you commit to the process then uh, hopefully you'll have uh, have more successes than failures our final sin is gluttony um and i love i actually loved your take on this which is about not being lean the opposite of gluttony is not being lean (laughs) throwing money at the problem it's always believing that you know money is the solution to everything so how do you and you've watched some really big organizations where i guess there was probably quite a lot of money sloshing about how did you maintain that focus on being efficient and you know not thinking that big money is the solution to every problem i think it has got easier because of martech it's also martech has also become a problem in a way because there's so many different things that you could people addicted to that as well yeah people (laughs) love some martech you know (laughs) But uh, but it has got easier to kind of measure things. What you kind of realise over time is that actually money is important. Don't get me wrong. If it wasn't important, then uh, why would Microsoft be Microsoft? Why you know, why would IBM be IBM? Mm. So why would Salesforce be Salesforce? They invest a lot in their brands. They invest a lot in their marketing and in their go broader go to market. So it is important, and it will be kind of glib to say, "Oh, money doesn't matter." But I think that you know overall what you can find over time in organizations you have to really really be challenging this idea that actually i'm going to throw more money at it and i will get the results because sometimes actually that's not the answer you know Mm. one example for me is content syndication you know there's a lot of lot of organizations throw a lot of money at content syndication and actually in every organization i've been at in the last probably four five six years and uh, clients i worked with agency side as well oftentimes when they reduced the amount of content syndication investment they made they actually ended up with better outcomes in terms of sales qualified leads and pipeline because actually fewer leads meant that sdrs the kind of the business development teams had more time to qualify them so they had more meaningful conversations Mm. so actually the number of leads ironically went up so it's you know it's kind of um this assumption that oh well throw another 300,000 at content syndication or spend another 200k on this event well do you really need to do you will it really lead to a better experience or actually could you think in a more innovative way 
you have to be honest about financial investment does not always equal ROI and pipelines yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. answers to your problems. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's also this interesting point, which is that you know marketers are increasingly taking a or, or should be taking a broader view over their influence in the organisation. Yeah. You know, we see this a lot where it's not all about just you know managing a media budget, but it's about how does the customer experience work? How do yeah. they integrate their you know marketing function with HR, for example? Absolutely, it's lots and lots of aspects to that. Are you seeing that change? T- totally, yeah, yeah. totally. In fact, what was one of the discussions we had yesterday with our whole EMEA team at Box, you know, was the fact that everybody is in marketing, especially now, especially with for SaaS organizations, because actually the, the start of the, uh, you know, the cycle of marketing isn't necessarily when you get your first lead. It's, there's another, there's a whole other cycle as soon as you've sold to that organization, which is how do I upsell? How do I cross sell? How do I ensure that this company renews? You're only as good as your last 12 months with mm, with mm. in most cases in in software as a service mm. so as a result of that you kind of you have to uh think about actually all of the touch points that customer experiences how is the the cs the customer service organization wrapping around this company um are we in marketing providing the right messages that will enable a customer to get maximum value out of uh, out of the solutions? Not a classic marketing problem, mm-hmm. I have to say. It's more that's more of a, a customer service issue. But actually, we're trying to constantly engage the customer and ensure that not only do they do they make the initial decision in favour of us, but that on an ongoing basis, you know, we are reminding them of what a great decision they made. And yeah. how they get the ma- absolute maximum value out of out of what they've bought, because ultimately our existence depends on proving ROI every day. Mm. It's not a one-off thing, and we walk away because we've sold a perpetual license and we're now done. This is, you know, our bread and butter becomes the entire customer life cycle. Um, and you know, in a lot of SaaS organisations, because of the sales and marketing costs that go in up front, they will only turn a profit on a customer, you know, a few years in. So ensuring that that customer is happy and stays with you is absolutely key. So customer marketing becomes its own discipline um, beyond the kind of the initial demand marketing and performance marketing. And it's just as important. And that means that you're touching so many different functions within your organization that you perhaps in the past thought, well, you knew who they were, but maybe you just didn't deal with them. Yeah, and I think that's creating these new skills that marketers need to have, I guess. They need to be influencers. They need to be able to kind of uh, persuade and bring people on the journey and listen well, you know. Marketers have to care about the whole business. Yeah. That, for me, is the big difference between a a, a true marketer and what I would class as a Marcoms person. I always see this this kind of two types of marketer, right? There is a Marcoms person. They can be good. They can be good project managers. They can be creative people. They can, they can be the people who will help you to deliver a message. But truly great marketers now, uh, they're the people who really care about your overall business. Mm. They understand how the business works. They understand content. They understand the processes behind the business. They understand what the, the full cycle from you know from lead through to opportunity through to uh you know hopefully through to contract and then through to right through to renewal and they care about it 
and they want to help the organisation be successful all the way along that cycle. Brilliant. Well, I couldn't agree more. What a brilliant place to leave it. Um, thank you, David, so much for sharing your thoughts with us today and, and, and being on the hot seat, answering the seven deadly sins or no four of them for today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you very much. Very welcome. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of The Seven Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing from Omobono, then please subscribe to the podcast, share with your colleagues, or even leave us a review. We welcome feedback. Please contact us at sins at omobono.com.